As part of our interview series, we like to try, whenever we can, to present the interview in one straight shot, uninterrupted for your listening pleasure. So, before we get started, here's a word from our sponsor. Enjoy the interview. Thank you. Hey there, Mr. Grizzly. Hey, Mr. Beaver, how you doing? I'm doing really well. Hey, uh, did you get something in the mail lately? Yes, um, Miss V Mysteries. I yeah, I did too. Awesome. Bedside reading. Yes. Um, for those who don't know, the Miss V Mysteries is an LGBTQ plus cozy mystery series written by Delilah Knight. Miss V is 60, trans, and classy, sassy, and a bit smart-assy. From her kitten heels to her chic bob, Miss V is a lady through and through. When her late aunt's lawyer is found murdered, and clutching V's favorite Chanel jacket, she is immediately arrested. Can she find the real killer before the local law puts her away for good? Will she be forced to trade 50s rock and roll for jailhouse blues? Do prisons even have a happy hour? Well, none of the ones I've been in. Wait, what? What? There's a story there. No. We'll talk about that after the ad. Miss V and the Letras Lawyer is the first book in a humorous, cozy mystery series from by ace author Delilah Knight. On sale now wherever ebooks are sold. Paperback copies are also available, or call your local library and ask them to get it in. Signed copies available at www.corvidmoonpublishing.com. That's www.corvidmoonpublishing, all in one word, .com. The Miss V Mysteries. You need to be reading it. And hello, kids, and welcome to a special extended interview for the True North Eager Beaver. And we have a very, 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 uh, well, I guess we're excited about. Uh, we're, no, no, very much so. Yeah. Uh, um, and uh, normally I do big introductions, but I'm just going to go into this so that we can get as much time. Uh, Reverend Michael Korn. Hello, sir. Hello. How are you? Very well. And how are you today? Um, well, yeah, a bit tired, but um, yeah, excited. Great time of year. Yes, Indeed. yes, very much. Um, the reason uh, we wanted you on the well, first of all, uh, you have writ written a book uh, that's really interesting, uh, but we also uh, that has an interesting premise, but you also have a very interesting journey, and um, we um. How would you put it? Uh, we like to profile uh, Canadians that do very interesting things. And your, your book uh, that's out right now, The Rebel Christ, uh, has a very interesting thesis. And I was wondering if you would just like uh, to tell our uh, listeners and our, the readers of our blog uh, what it's about and what your premise is. Well, um, I think that for, for many years now, particularly since the 1960s, um, Christianity and the teachings of Jesus have been rather perverted and twisted, uh, particularly by the, the conservative right, and particularly in the United States, because of the influence of the US politically, emotionally, financially, and so many other ways that has spread to other countries, including Canada, and mm -hmm. also parts of Europe. And 
it really is quite, uh, it's breathtaking really, because when, when you read the Gospels, whatever people's beliefs, that's entirely up to them. But when you read the Gospels, this is a man, um, as Christians, we believe God becomes one of us. And God becomes one of us at a particular time in history, in a particular place, in a particular way. It's around 2,000 years ago, born to a teenage girl living under occupation, growing up in a working class family. Father was a skilled craftsman, maybe a carpenter, maybe not. And he grows to maturity, never owns property, lives communally, uh, surrounds himself with the marginalized, the poor, former sex workers, terrorist leaders, tax collectors who were pariahs of society. Uh, he moves from place to place, preaching uh, a radical message of love and inclusion and tolerance and breaking barriers. He calls for redistribution. His harshest words are reserved for the wealthy and the powerful and the legalistic. He tells one young man who, who says, I've, I, I, I obey all the commandments and I want to follow you. What should I do? And Jesus says, sell everything and give it to the poor. And then talks about how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, he he breaks boundaries and barriers all the time. Uh, it's a, a very radical message. There is nothing conservative about what this man says. And it's also extremely pertinent that he's born not into a family of, of, of aristocrats or, or princes or warlords or investment bankers or whatever, but into someone who, who works with his hands and, and travels probably from place to place to, to get work. Mm-hmm. And and you look at the teachings and you look at the Beatitudes and then you look at, you know, the, the Jerry Falwells and the Oral Roberts and the Pat Robertsons and, and, and the Franklin Grahams of the world. And you say, well, this does not compute. And we can argue about various aspects of what he said. But I don't want to be anachronistic here and apply labels that didn't exist at the time. But this man was very much, a, but what he was preaching was a form of socialism. Absolutely. And it was certainly equality. And the issues that obsess the Christian right, abortion and homosexuality, he never mentions. Uh, he may have referred to a same-sex couple when he talks to the centurion about his slave. We don't know that for sure, but he, but he never explicitly mentions it. Actually, I go beyond that. If you really understand ancient text and scripture and so on, when St. Paul refers to same-sex relationships, He's not talking to a, a, about a consenting, loving gay couple. He's talking about straight men who use teenage boys for sex in pagan initiation ceremonies. But people who don't understand this turn it into homophobia. And I, mean, I, I won't dwell on this subject, but the Old Testament never mentions lesbianism, ever. And Sodom is not about homosexuality. Sodom is about lack of hospitality. Anyway, it's just... The church has often got it wrong throughout history. It got it wrong from the fourth century when it mingled with the state, where as soon as you had this church-state link, things went wrong. But you always had people who were trying to pull the church back. Since the 1960s in particular, you've had an element of the church. Now, I think it is a minority, but my God, it's a sizable and vocal minority, mm-hmm. who are actually criticizing the state for being too liberal, for being too left-wing. They're, they're trying to move politics and culture to the right. And you look at them screaming about the death penalty and, and, and taking away people's rights and controlling women and, and lionizing people who, who are just pretty dreadful men and women, actually. And that's nothing to do with Christianity. So what I was trying to do in the book is, and it's, it's only 50,000 words, and I, I'm not an academic, I'm not an intellectual, I'm just a journalist. 
but it was an attempt to um, just, I suppose, try and repair some of the damage and show what the teachings really were. So there's a there's a chapter about abortion, and um, which is, I mean, there's you know there's one part of the Old Testament where abortion is, is demanded, uh, and the idea that life begins at conception, that's a very recent idea. Mm-hmm. The Abrahamic faiths, Judaism, Islam, Christianity actually believe that life begins at the first breath. Now we wouldn't go that far, I think, today, but uh, this is this is this is new. This is and on the abortion issue, the evangelical church wasn't actually anti-abortion until fairly recently. It adopted a, a different position. So there's so much that had to be said and. Um, uh, I mean, the book's done very well in Canada and the UK. I, I wish it had had more of a hearing in the US because that's where they really need to hear it. Indeed. But in Canada too, because this it's a bit worrying what's happening in Canada with the People's Party, which is small, mm-hmm. but the influence in the People's Party, but particularly in the Conservative Party. Erin O'Toole is not an extreme man. I think he's a fairly moderate person, actually. But he's very beholden to the Christian right, and he's terrified of yes. losing his leadership. And it could well be, not definite, but it could well be the person who replaces him would be someone from the Christian right. And then you will see an interesting polarization in this country. Well, that, that's, that's terrifying to me. I mean, the former progressive conservative party has been taken over by the reformers. It's, I call them reformicons. Uh, and, and oftentimes I refer to them as Christo-fascists because they just want to strip people of their rights, period. Uh, they don't know anything about Christianity or the teachings of Christ. Uh, they're, they're just, they have this bastardized uh, uh, version of events that never took place in, in almost every single case. And they literally just want to control people. Well, I, I, I mean, I have to say, although I, I know what you say, I wouldn't go that far. I mean, I wouldn't, use, I, I won't use the term Christo-fascist. I think they're not, I don't think they're fascists. And I, I wouldn't link those two terms together, I have to say. But um, nor do I think they want to take away everybody's rights, but I do think they want to limit what we have taken quite rightly for granted. Uh, And I do think they're heavily influenced by a a perversion of Christianity, which, as you say, has no basis in in reality. And it's a great shame because the evangelical church uh, for many years, well, for for many generations, was not of the right. You know, we think about the fight against slavery, for example. Um, the evangelical and nonconformist churches were often showing the way to other churches. Uh, you think about William Wilberforce, who was, well, he was Anglican, but he's really more of a, of a Methodist. Uh, the Labour Party in Britain was always said to owe more to Methodism than, than to Marxism. Uh, Tommy Douglas was a Baptist. Mm-hmm. So uh, the, the idea that evangelicals were always on the right, that, that, that again is pretty recent. That's the 1960s onwards. And there used to be a very noble tradition um, within what they then call the nonconformist churches, those outside of Protestants outside of the established church. Um, and they were radical. They represented working people and they, they campaigned for reform. Uh, but that's been, that's been lost. And you know, there's a wonderful move. I mean, I, the Pope is often tremendous, not always, but often tremendous on what he says. But this has really motivated the Catholic right to stand up against him. And so you have this coalition of the Catholic right and the and white evangelicals, because black evangelicals are different. Mm-hmm. And in the U.S., eighty-one uh, percent of white evangelicals voted for Trump. I don't know the percentage of black evangelicals, but I suspect it was very, very low. I would think. <laughs> I would think so. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, 
when uh, you were a part of the evangelical movement for a while, is that correct? Well, I, I was Catholic, um, but I was certainly on the conservative wing. And, uh, you know, until about eight years ago, I was, I think I was, I was wrong. I, mean, I, I wasn't as harsh as some of these people we've been talking about, certainly not. But it, in a way, I did more harm because of that. Mm -hmm. Because, for example, on the marriage issue, I supported civil unions and I supported full legal protection for same-sex couples and employment and housing and so on. But I said no to gay marriage. And I think that that was more damaging and I did more harm because I gave a relatively intelligent and moderate response. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, some screaming fundamentalists can be ignored pretty much. But I, I, I was, doors were open to me because I, I would present a more reasonable case, but it was a damaging case. Yes. And uh, I was against abortion. Now, again, I wasn't extreme. I, mean, I believed in abortion after the, I, I said there should be a law that said it was illegal after the third month, um, which frankly is the case in most of Europe, but it doesn't change very much at all because most abortions are before then anyway. Um, but I, I think I was on the wrong side on that. On other issues though, I was always a rather erratic conservative because <laughs> I, I, um, I opposed the war in Iraq mm -hmm. and I opposed the death penalty and I supported welfare and socialized medicine. I wanted to forgive third world debt. So they are not conservative principles. Mm -hmm. But on issues of life and sexuality, I was wrong and I did a lot of damage. And, I, you know, I've spent eight years trying to put that right. And because you have to take ownership. Mm -hmm. Just saying, oh, sorry about that. I got it wrong. That won't do. No, no, no. Not you at all. Take ownership of what you did and, and, and work to put it right and maybe even pay a certain price. And I, I wouldn't volunteer to do that. And I didn't volunteer to do that. But it did happen that I did pay a certain price because a lot of people were very angry with me. And there's none so angry as a fundamentalist scorned, believe me. <laughs> what, so, uh, what was your, what was your light bulb moment? What was the moment that brought you to this sort of, was there a single thing or was it a collective? Was it uh, death by a thousand cuts for want of a better term? I, I can't think of something else right now, but was there, was it just, you, you were presented with an argument that showed you that you were wrong? What was it? I'm, I'm curious because I've been yeah. following you for many years, reading your, 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 your column. And there was a long time where I'd read your column and get very angry. Now, now let's let's get put put all the cards on the table here. Cis, hat, white, male, six foot tall, anglophone with a six pack at the age of fifty three years of age. Okay, I'm fifty three years old. Wow. So now I, I'm putting all the cards on the table. So I am technically would be known as the target market for conservatives. I'm not in that market. I, I refuse to belong to any club that would have me as a member in the great words of uh, the master uh, Groucho. Yes. So what, what was there something that just woke you up well, one day? What was it? I'm five foot 10 and I've never had a six pack, um, <laughs> but uh, it's a very good question because it's one I've asked myself many times. I can't really, it, it's all of it. None of it. Um, there were certain incidents that happened um, I was working, I did about 13 years, I presented a show at uh, CTS Crossroads out in uh, Burlington, which was, um, it was a faith-based station, but part of their license to, to, to get the TV station going seems to be facing quite difficult times now, I'm not sure, but back then it was thriving, but they needed a current affairs show that was not faith-based. And um, 
So they asked me to present that, even though they knew I was on side. But mm -hmm. and you know, it wasn't a bad show. We had a lot of. God, I had Benjamin Netanyahu on. Had Jerry Adams on. Oh Stephen Harper. We had all sorts. They didn't really know what to do with it with the show. Mm. I mean, we had some major players up, and um, we had lo a lot of people on the left, and we'd have a, a very a strong debate. When I look at what's on TV now, and and. And I'm sorry, these same consultants with the same opinions over and over again. And, and uh, we initiated people. We brought new faces in. We did pretty well. Uh, I had a certain uh, slant. Of course I did. But I allowed people, you know, every Friday there was Sid Ryan, the Labour leader on. I may not have agreed with him, but gave him room to, to speak. And, mm -hmm. But then they were, they didn't, it became a very uncomfortable place to work. And uh, I moved to, Sun News had been urging me to come to them for some time. And I've said no, but eventually I, I did. And I, I, I just want to say that they, Sun News were wonderful employers because I want to be fair about this. So they, they were extremely fair. And when they went under, which was as much as I'm sorry for people who lost their jobs, for me, it was a great relief. Mm -hmm. But um, they, they treated me extremely well. Uh, but they didn't want a debate show. They wanted this sort of cookie cutter, conservative here's the line and you know what i, I wasn't forced to at point to do it they were paying me they're paying me very well and um they had a right to say this is what we want so it's no use me saying i well you know i didn't want to i could have said no but i didn't but it really showed me a right and also work i was working not very far from ezra levant which was um an eye opener mm -hmm. and uh so that was an uncomfortable place for me. And, and it made me question things more and more because I felt such an outsider there. Then a few things happened. Um, one was that Uganda, the Uganda, Ugandan government had declared yeah. they may introduce even more homophobic legislation than they had. Yes. And this could even have led to people being arrested or even executed simply yes. for being gay. And I found this to be appalling. So I spoke out against it. And I thought maybe more conservative Christians and the gay community can come together on this to show that, um, but I, I had really misjudged the situation because when I, when I condemned this, I said how appalling it was, mm -hmm. I was attacked by Christians. Mm -hmm. And this was before, I wasn't active on social media. I'm, I, I'm quite busy now on Twitter and Facebook. Back then, I wasn't at all. So I wonder what it would have been like today. But um, back then, I, I mean, I was attacked a great deal by Christians saying, how dare you, you know, Uganda have a right to do what they wanted. And that was very painful, not being attacked. I didn't care about people attacking mm -hmm. me, but it was painful to see people I thought were on the right side. And then very, I don't know if it was the same week or in the very same period, very similar period, um, World Vision, a charity organization, Christian charity organization, vast, big, they had to put out a statement that if you were part of a gay relationship, you were welcome to work for them. Now, I think the backstory is probably that there were a lot of gay people working for World Vision, and they mm -hmm. simply, out of decency, wanted to make these people realize they were welcome. Mm -hmm. But my golly, hornet's nest. Not within days, within hours, major churches, evangelical groups said, and they use very euphemistic language, that if this is your policy, we will have to reconsider our partnerships with you, which meant we'll stop funding you which means kids in the developing world are going to die. Yeah. So I, I, I reduced it down. I, sat, I remember sitting at home and I reduced it to this. An organization has said 
the gay people working with the poorest of the poor doing God's work are welcome. Thank you to them. They've said this, and in response, the evangelical world, not just the hard line, but the mainstream evangelical world has said, if you say this, then children in those countries will starve to death. That's how we'll punish you. And I felt physically sick. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, this is not this is not me. This this I cannot this is not Jesus and it's not me. And and it made me it, it pushed me more when I spoke out against that. And there was so much pushback and and um various attacks. And then I was getting all these letters from members of the gay community, particularly the Christian, gay Christian community, that, that were just lovely. And and it made me reconsider and I started to, I don't want to get too supernatural on you, but I started to pray about this a lot and, and think about it. And it was, I, I think I was probably close to a breakdown. Mm-hmm. Because on the one hand, do I leave, if this is the faith, I don't want it. Do I walk away from it? But I believe it. So what do I do? And I used to go along and I had all this right-wing stuff going on around me. Mm-hmm. And again, I volunteered for that. They were paying me. So I'm not here to attack them. But I felt increasingly as I was reduced into this little island and there were all these people saying these things. And um, I used to go along to the Anglican Cathedral. It's about a 10-minute walk away from where the Sun News studio was. And I would just sit there at the midday communion. I wouldn't take the Eucharist because as a Catholic, I wasn't supposed to. Mm -hmm. But I would just sit there and embrace the gentleness of it. And I remember one day I received communion and I thought, well, you've really done it now, Mike. And um, mm. I, that, that's uh, a big deal. It was a big deal for me. Yeah. And, and, and after that, I thought, you know, the die is cast. And I started to rethink various things. And I, re- I asked some people if they could set up a meeting with, a, with members of the gay community where I could meet some leaders of the gay community, some of whom are Christian, but not all. And um, a lovely person set up a meeting in a, a room in a hotel had sandwiches there, I remember. And there were about five people. Um, I just sat with them, and it was a, a very beautiful thing. And I just really asked to be helped and educated. And I heard some very moving stories. And um, and then it, um, you know, it's exponentially, just catching them mm-hmm. larger, and the snowball's getting larger. And, and I began to question so much. And I thought, I can't stay in the Catholic Church, which is not to say there are many wonderful people in the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. And, and when I left, I received all of these letters from people saying, look, I agree with you, and we're trying to fight this battle in the church, but I'm not as brave as them. I couldn't do it. I left, and um, I began to worship as an Anglican, and my views became more and more obvious. I remember one of the, one of the, the bosses at Sun News called me into his office, and he was lovely. And he said, Mike, um, look, I sort of agree with you on a lot of this stuff, but we're getting complaints from viewers. They just don't know. You're, you're confusing them. Because I was having people on the show who weren't in line with their views. And um, again, he had a right to do that. I mean, I don't think I listened to him, but he had a perfect right to do it. He, he wasn't being unfair and he wasn't nasty about it. Uh, and But it couldn't have gone on. I mean, if Sun News had continued, we would have, we would have parted ways. Mm-hmm. It just wouldn't couldn't have uh, and um and then i wrote a, i wrote a column in the sun where i used to be a columnist mm-hmm. and uh apologizing to the gay community i remember that column and you know it wasn't even that right i didn't mention gay marriage no nope. i just said i want to apologize for it and 
again, it was before I was on Twitter. That I think I was on Twitter, but I hardly ever used it because I can only imagine what it had been what it would been like today. But I was just swamped, and I heard from some some pretty senior people. I mean, I don't want to say who they were, but some leading people in political and public life who were gay um, wrote me some profoundly moving, beautiful notes. I mean, really so forgiving and loving. And uh, But that, of course, then activated the right, who went crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but then after that, I just, I just became more and more outspoken. And... Um, then it was announced. Someone outed me that I'd left the Catholic. I was being very quiet about it, uh, but uh, someone on the Catholic right saw me coming out of an Anglican church, and they outed me. And um, I think I may have broken the record for being fired by more uh, people in, in the space of 10 days than anyone else. So, <laughs> I, I was writing columns for about four Catholic newspapers. I do, I, I do understand Catholic publications firing me, though, because... Um, you know, it was difficult for them because mm-hmm. I was fairly high profile and, and it was announced I'd left the Catholic Church. And so how could they continue to, you know, I mean, one, one of them, some of them are very nasty. One was very apologetic. I'm sorry, Mike, but we have no option. But there were other people who didn't need to fire me. They weren't Catholic, but they just, well, I mean, where I was for 13 years at Crossroads. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Sun News closed down, they asked me to come back and, and be a guest host on 100 Huntley Street. Mm-hmm. And I did a few of them and I, I was booked for a whole bunch more. And they wrote to me and said, sorry, we're not going to have you back. We're severing links with you because of your views on uh, gay marriage. Well, how very Christian of them, eh? Yeah. And how, um, yeah, I mean, I would never have taken any legal action on that. But um, cancel culture, you know, the right to go on all the time about how they're victims of cancel culture. Oh, give me a break. Yes, sometimes they are. And it's a problem, cancel culture. But the, the right had have been doing, using it against the left for, for years and years and years and years. And, um, and that no, just went on, uh, you know, speeches cancelled, radio shows, TV shows, columns. And then it began to hit me, um, uh, you have to make a living. You've got a family to provide for. And, and it, was, it wasn't that we were poor, but uh, there were a lot of bills to pay. And that, that was a bit troubling. Mm-hmm. Um, and gradually... I mean, the Toronto Star, I'll always be grateful to the, Toronto, to the Toronto Star. And the comment editor, and he said, well, look, write a piece about what has happened. He said, this will take time, because I think our readers are going to be in shock initially. So mm-hmm. let's just do it occasionally. Um, but that, this was many years ago, and gradually you build up, and I've wrapped them all the time now. And, uh, and things, you know, I'm not going to complain about that. There are people who lose their lives because of what they, they say and they lose everything. For me, so I lost money, big deal. Mm-hmm. And now I'm, a, you know, I write for the Star a lot and the Globe and McLean's and lots of other people. And But um, it wasn't just money. I mean, no, it was you were ostracized. There were networks and personal relationships. I was threatened. I, 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 I had garbage sent to me in the mail. My family were followed. Um, they, they, they tried to work out, they tried to justify my apostasy. <laughs> so one of the theories was that, so it was put out that I'd, um, I, I'd had a nervous breakdown. Um, I was doing it all for money, which always, that's always intrigued me because where? <laughs> I mean, it was the opposite had happened. Um, I was just a liar. I was gay. Um, I was having an affair. All the kids were gay. Now, we have four children, and they're all boringly straight. And if you said they were gay, they, I mean, they, they couldn't give a what's it. But 
um, they 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 got this idea, and it was it was one of our one of our. We have two sons and two daughters. It was one of the girls. I can't remember which one, but they were convinced that she was gay. I mean, if you you know the, these are trendy young women. The indifference you couldn't measure the indifference level. Right? Well, I don't care, but <laughs> they and you know I remember reading it, comment sections are ridiculous, but there was a piece about me on one of these right-wing, uh, very, actually very influential anti-abortion blog. And at the end of it, there, was a, there were comments, and I just had a look at them, and one of them said, well, you should know his daughter is, is a homosexual. And the comment below it said, ah, now I understand. Oh. But listen to this. I don't forgive, but I do understand. I'd rather my child had cancer. Oh my God! That's, that's I swear to you. I swear to you. That's what it said. Now that was a comment. I mean, that wasn't written in the piece. But <laughs> and then and even now, I, I get it. I mean, it's, this is eight years ago. Not very often now, but you still get that these people. And it wasn't just the, you know, the, there was a column in the National Post, and uh, there were, uh, yeah, there was some. No, there were wonderful people too. On the other hand, I had all these lovely people who are more progressive, gay, whatever they were, who were sending me, you know, loving me to death. Plus, there were people who were hurt, who wrote to me very beautifully, mm-hmm. who said, I don't understand it, Mike, but I love you. And um, there are a number like that. I can think of some right now. I mean, there's, there's one, there's a couple of journalists out there who are conservative, Um I won't say their names. They, they were lovely to me. They, they said, "Mike, you're, you're my friend." You know, I, I disagree with you. I wish this hadn't happened, but you're my friend. But there were others. Oh, good lord, there were others. Um, if I may, uh, yeah. I read your columns a lot too. Uh, when I was a, a teenager in early twenties, we'd have the sun delivered to you know to our home, and I, I am uh, sorry. I am sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and. Well, it got progressively worse, but at, it? It at, really at, has. at the beginning, it wasn't so bad. Uh, it was a different style, and it, and it was fine. And I, you know, uh, I was a debating uh, student in in high school, a member of the national team, and you know, and I studied communications. I mean, you know, I I get like writing for your audience and all and all that kind of all that kind of thing. It was nice to get different viewpoints, uh, and your column would confound me because. I started off pretty much as a progressive conservative uh, and, you know, evolved into, uh, you know, but like the concept of, you know, socially progressive and fiscally, you know, fiscally responsible. I mean, it's like, who doesn't want somebody that's like fiscally responsible so that we can have money to spend on things that would help people progressively. Right. So that, that was my thinking of what a progressive conservative is, right. We, we save money where we can, we don't spend on useless stuff so that we can spend things on taking care of people. Right? Uh, and then, you know, I figured out that that's not what it was about. <laughs> uh but your column, uh, and then you had columns, the, the, the column that you wrote uh, about same-sex marriage uh, affected me uh, a lot. I, I am gay, uh, you know, and uh, unlike, uh, you know, my, my uh, co-host here, I'm, uh, you know, um, you know, not white. <laughs> uh, well, not white enough that people ask me where I'm from fairly, fairly frequently. But do you have a six-pack? 
uh, I got, I got, I'm glad you asked. I got to about like a three and a half at one point, somewhere (laughs) around like, you know, 2000. And then I had the choice between like pizza and chocolate or going the full eight. And I opted for pizza and chocolate. Yeah, I would be a very unhappy six pack holder. <laughs> In my defense, it's mostly genetics with me, okay? And I'm allergic to everything. So I have a very, very strict, restricted diet. So, <laughs> um, but uh, your, uh, the column uh, where you said that you were wrong was also one I read. Um, and uh, my attitude uh, has always been. I don't care when you get here so long as you get to the party. Welcome. Right? I'm not going to use what's the rest to bash over your head for the rest of your life. This if you've an apology, I've always told a solid apology contains four parts, right? It's I'm sorry, actually saying the words, an actual recognition saying why it is you're sorry, not like I'm sorry because you know, you felt bad or I'm sorry that you missed it. No, I'm sorry because I did this. Yeah. Recognizing I did because I did this, you suffered this, a recognition of the the damage caused. And this is how I'm going to, I'm not only going to say I'm sorry, I'm going to show you I'm sorry. And this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to change about my behavior. This is how I'm going to atone. This is how I'm going to try and make it up. And even if I can never make it up, this is the, I'm, this is the change I am going to be to show you that I'm sorry. And you have done that. I appreciate it very much. At the beginning, there were there were people who were delighted, but there were other people who said, well, yeah, let's see what happens. And then there were other people who said, oh, I'll never forgive. But, you know, one, the ones who said, I'll never forgive were very few. And I think, there were, I think that was often more about them than anything else. Mm-hmm. Because it's not as though I'd gone around killing people. I mean, and, um, but uh, I, I've certainly had a lot to make up for. But over the years... Um, you know, I, I've I've worked very hard to to on on behalf of those communities. I think I I hurt or know I hurt, and as I say, the penance was not something I asked for. I'm not going to pretend to be that courageous. I didn't. It just happened. I mean, I, it did happen, and it was it was very look. It was very painful. There were times when um, I don't want to play the tough guy here. There were times when I, I felt like I just I was being hounded. Like, there was a a Catholic newspaper in Western Canada, and they wrote to me because there was quite a bit of coverage. And they said we'd like to, we'd like you to write a column for us. It didn't pay very much, but and I said, "Are you sure?" And they said, "Yes, we're different from the other papers. We're progressive Catholic." And I wrote my first column, and the editor called me, and this poor woman was almost in tears, and she said, "I'm sorry, I can't use you anymore. Um, there's been this campaign, and what it was, it was a, an anti-abortion blog. They called people. You know, you just put a couple of emails at the end and say." Call the email this person, say it was the bishop, it was the publisher, and they probably weren't that many. But if they get 20 emails, that's more than they've got in a year, right? Um, I will never read this if this man Michael Carr. And so, and so, every anything like that, I was attacked. And there was another another Christian paper I wrote for, and they said, We've got to let you go because there are churches being told that if, if our newspaper is in their building, these people will boycott the church just because I wrote a column. You want cancel culture, I can tell you about it. So it happened. You know, those people I thought would, like with Huntley Street, I said to them, I've never mentioned that issue on your show. I wouldn't. I know where you stand. It'd be, it would be rude of me. And they said, yes, but people know what you think. And so it doesn't matter that I believe in the creed and, and I'm a Christian. 
and I believe this stuff, I mean, I'm actually a fairly orthodox Christian, didn't matter, that you believe in same-sex marriage, even though you haven't said it on the show, is enough that we will not use you again. And so, it, I mean, it was, and just, although you can, a lot of the stuff, a lot of the attacks you just ignore, it's when you, you know, you close the window, it comes to the door, you close the door and it's coming through the floorboards. <clears throat> it just, it didn't stop. And going after, even though my kids didn't care, going after my family was, oh, my, my wife got two letters saying she had to divorce me. What? Yeah, oh yeah. <clears throat> I mean, it, that's not gonna happen, it didn't, but yeah, because as a Catholic, she couldn't be married to me. And um, I hate it when people involve families, you know, I really do not believe that. It's crossing be. the line. It's crossing yeah. the line, right? It's it really just is. like, so there, there they're was, the innocent was, bystanders, literally. Yeah, and there were just lies told about me, lies about things. I mean, there was, there was this one guy who, he had this, my golly, it, it was so contrary to the truth of what happened. But I, I saw counsel from a, a wise friend, a conservative, and he said, just don't respond. Because if you respond, you've given it credibility. And this person has a certain influence. And it was completely made up. And I just had to ignore it. Yeah, there's certain things to which you should not give oxygen. Yeah. But they'll always say, oh, do you know he did this to this person? I didn't. I just didn't do it. In, in fact, the opposite. But so, um, yeah, you, you, pay a, you pay a price. But, you know, when apologies, and I, what you said earlier is, is, is important. When you say, I'm sorry for anyone who was offended. No, 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 no. That's not true. I mean, th th that's not how you apologize. I mean, that's, that, that's a politician's apology. I'm sorry because I said so what I said was wrong. And, and um, those people who still refuse to forgive, in the end, you have to move on. And there are there really, I seldom, you know, I, I know, for example, I wrote a book called Epiphany a few years ago about my change. And there was a party, uh, a very prominent member of the gay community in Toronto wanted to throw me a party, very kind of him. And, and, I, and he had all these invites sent out. And I said, did anybody refuse? And he said, one person. And I'm not going to say who that is, but I know who that person is. And that person is, a, is, is constantly angry at everybody. Mm -hmm. So I don't think, you know, I don't really care that much. Wouldn't have wanted him there anyway. <laughs> um, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's, and, and for goodness sake, you have to be, you have to be open to people changing their minds. Otherwise, what's yeah. the point? What is it? I mean, yeah. what, what are we trying to do here? If, we, if we're trying to change the culture, you have to, if people have genuinely changed, welcome them. Don't say, oh, no, I'm sorry. Otherwise, you know. That, well, that's one of, that's I'm a big believer. I always, like, if, you know, we believe that democracy is something you do. So when you see, like, politicians doing things that you approve of, because, but they're not of your stripe, you say, oh, well, yeah, well, remember all the times you did this? Or do you say, you know what? This one was a good one. Yeah, do more of that. We want that. And right? we will vocally support that each and every time. Yeah, why I don't understand why it is that when someone stretches out, reaches out a hand like this, you know, you reach back. I guess why some people choose to use the hand to slap across the face rather than grab the hand. Well, it is about them. I mean, there are people who simply want. I mean, unless they they can be angry and offended, they're not fulfilled, and uh, that that's a shame because the mm -hmm. um, there are also. I mean, there are politicians in the U.S. who've changed their view on sexuality because when they're children is gay. And I've often thought about that. And I thought, well, that, yeah, but 
that's the reason. What sort of reason is that? But the more you think about it, it's actually a very good reason mm. because, okay, maybe you didn't have a, a, a private, personal, philosophical, emotional transformation, but a, a child who you've loved, you love this person, and you see that, well, that, that person, that person is gay, and you've realized, I was wrong. I mean, there are people who would just throw their child out. Yeah, sadly, um, yes. So I don't reject that. And I, there's one politician, whose name escapes me, who, who went on to campaign then because he realized, you know, something triggered. I, I was wrong on on this issue. And, you know, there are other issues like that. Not that many in that. I mean, that, that's such a central. And, and some of the people who rallied around me, you know, were... And it just moved me to tears. It was so beautiful and so supportive. And um, I'd um, like to ask, since you're on that subject, uh, there's two things on my mind, uh, and you can take them in the order that you want. Uh, the first is the thought of basically using God, Jesus, or religion as a shield. Um, you know, I tend to be skeptical sometimes of people who tell me they know what God wants because it seems to very conveniently dovetail with what they want. Um, and the other one, and they're both conflict, they're like you'll see that it's both sides. It's been eight years since you've been experiencing forgiveness. Like there's been all the stuff, the loss and, and the penance, and we don't get to choose what our penance is going to be. That's sort of comes comes whatever you, you decide you're going to make the chains and the, the change and the chips fall where they may and the penance basically falls upon you but you know given also that you know we're, we're in the season what is it that you have learned about forgiveness based from your experience so like so i'd like, like you to address sort of like both sides mm-hmm. that's interesting well you have to forgive yourself too and that can be the hardest thing Mm-hmm. Um, I struggle with that, not so much on that issue, actually not on that issue, really, at this point. I struggle with forgiving myself for things I've done. For example, my relationship with my parents, it, it wasn't a bad one, but I sometimes think about it, and I, I sort of die a bit inside because I, I think about the sacrifices they made that I took completely for granted, which you, you should do with your parents, but... I think I, I was actually quite ungrateful to my father, mm. the work he did and the sacrifices he made. And he could make it difficult sometimes to be, he was a good, he was a lovely man. He was a good man, but he could be, an, he had a hot temper. It never hit me, but he would lose his temper and be emotional about things. And it, and it sort of pushed me away. And, but I should have shown him more understanding and respect for how hard he worked and what he gave up for his children, really. And, and when I came to Canada, for example, I don't think I realized what it would have done to my parents. It was all about me. Mm-hmm. I don't think a lot of people do that, but even so, I, I feel I haven't forgiven. I felt, well, I find it very hard to forgive myself. Some of the small things I've done in life, I've not I've never been a bad person, but I just think about high school and how I treated people and did I always treat them properly. And I don't know, as you get older, I don't want to get too maudlin about this, but there are things I've done that I, I find it hard to forgive myself. Um, as I say, I haven't been particularly bad, but I think the banality of, of it all is probably what is so powerful. Um, forgiving others is something which is 
interesting. And I, I obviously, I mean, I'm committed to doing that. It can be difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, there are people who are convinced they haven't done anything wrong to me um, and would never apologize. And the Christian position on that is a, a, an interesting one, but I think you have to forgive anyway, even if they don't request it. I, I really do try to forgive them and, and show love towards them, but that can be a challenge. Uh, but you know, all of this works together and not sure how, if I could handle it without some sort of relationship um, with a creator, which I hope I have. Um, but it many, you know, these, these things are, they're complex and, and, and they, and we do change as, as people. And as I age, I'll be 63 in January. And um, it's not that you get more wise, but I think you, I think there is a maturity in response. And um, I know there's this idea that people get more conservative as they age, but I am always meeting people where the opposite has happened. That's that's the oh, case with me. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with you. I've noticed my parents, my father who was 80, my mother who was 75, they are more left-leaning, liberal, non-conservative than they've ever been in their lives, uh, ever in their lives. Like they just accept people for who they are. Um, I'm like any other family. We have gay family members. Every family has them. My family uh, was very accepting at a time when it was not socially acceptable to be accepting, if that makes any sense. Um, And and, and as a result, I think my parents uh, grew from that. Again, they're they're getting old. Well, they're 80 and 75. They're They're not kids anymore, but they are much more... Uh, the opposite of what a conservative would be at that age. And I, I know I'm a big influence because I talk to them about these things and say, you know, it's like your next door neighbor who is trans, a trans woman, that person lived their entire life up to 55 years of age in the wrong body. Can you even imagine what that, if, and they're like, oh my goodness, I never thought of it like that. Right? So like you said, uh, so many people I know, as they've gotten older, are not conservative. It's they're the exact opposite of that. So where is this groundswell of extreme conservatism coming from? I just don't get it. They're not well, progressive conservatives. They're not like a, a John Robarts, former premier of Ontario, who was an absolute gem of a premier who gave us yeah. so much we take for granted today. Well, they're not conservatives at all because if you think of that tradition... Um, and I'm not as familiar with the Canadian one. I should be, but I'm not as with the British and the American. But I was telling you about this uh, earlier today. Uh, you think of Eisenhower, a Republican president mm-hmm. who um, <laughs> preferred playing golf to actually governing. But <laughs> this was a man who'd really seen war, yes. uh, a lot of it, and was a good general and cared passionately about his, his men. Um, but he stopped the, the Suez invasion. Uh, he warned of the military-industrial complex. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did campaign for, for, for civil rights. He, he didn't glorify in the military. No. And he was, he was a man of his age, but he was really quite a progressive man in many ways. Good Lord, look at Richard Nixon. I mean, today Nixon would virtually be... He started the EPA. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he started the EPA. Yeah. He would not be welcome in the Republican Party today. No, he wouldn't. He, he was... You know, he was personally this very broken, angry man, but going out to China and Vietnam and the rest of it, he, um, and that, that all changed under Reagan. 
mm-hmm. and the slide began and the bushes weren't so bad but i don't know i mean I, and i i get a bit actually i have little patience with those republicans who go on on, on um, cnn to say we're the good republicans well i'm sorry you actually created the culture that made trump almost inevitable you know mm-hmm. um yes. and they 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 shouldn't be given such a free pass and yeah so they don't go on fox news they go on cnn and cnn which is just dreadful uh, but they you know you're you're part of the problem you created this party and it became so vacuous and trump just walked through but these people oh in canada we have them too the anti-vaccination types mm-hmm. they're not conservative it's not the tradition of benjamin disraeli and edmund burke and it's not a, a thoughtful idea of how democracy should evolve and 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 preston manning had an article in the globe and mail yes, yes i saw that i saw oh, it today oh i mean apart from it like I, I, it's going to sound rude and i'm sorry but it was like it was like it's written by a child mm-hmm. yes first of all he has no idea. the christmas truce in 1914 was was it, you know the officers wouldn't have allowed it. it it was the ordinary men there were loads of officers that's right i don't know generals and and, and so on but the accounts written by captains and majors there were loads of officers involved. You, know, they yeah. were, you don't think there were officers? Officers died first on the front, particularly junior officers. And then he, this idea, can there not be a truce between well, those people who believe in vaccination and science and responsibility and those who don't? Well, there's no what, what mean, truce between them. It's not, it's not equal partners. It's like climate change. Let's, have, you know, let's give time to those who believe in reality and those who deny it. But that's the thing. There's a third and, factor, right? There's the... Those, there's, those who believe, those those who deny, and then there's Mother Nature. Yeah, there's yeah. the side that believes in vaccines and the side that doesn't believe in vaccines, and then there's the virus. The virus is not agreeing to the truth. <laughs> exactly, exactly. The virus I, is like a very immature child. Can you stop? I need to see my mom. Now, can you stop? It's Christmas. Now. It's like, now, now. It's like the virus. I, I know. And, you see, and, and, and Manning, who is not a bad person, of course he's not, but but you know he helped create this polarization. He did. And... and and I think now he probably is slightly, well, I don't know if he is, but he might be slightly surprised at what is going on. But these are the people who made it possible. Yeah. Brown Mulroney's Progressive Conservative Party, whatever you might think of him and that party, it simply was not the same party. That not at all. You had this centrism. You had you know, the Liberal Party and, and, and the Progressive Conservatives. Frankly, a lot of the time, you wouldn't even know the difference between mm-hmm. them. Uh, Pierre Trudeau had a certain charisma and, and a certain agenda, but otherwise, you know, I mean, Paul Paul Martin uh, governed responsibly, economically intelligent man. Was he really very different from uh, from Mulroney? And uh, but now, well, he didn't take a payoff. But other than that, <laughs> <laughs> but now you have Erin O'Toole, who is not extreme. Mm-hmm. But this man who who is led by his base and by the potential challenge to his leadership, which is very right wing. Well, what was it? What uh, Brian Mulroney said recently? He's not leading. He needs to lead the party. He needs to get his members in line to vote against conversion therapy. He needs to uh, get them all vaccinated. He need. And I'm like, wow! Like just a few weeks prior to that, during the election, during the the campaign, Brian Mulroney was he. he Here's the guy. He's the next guy. And then a couple of weeks later, he was throwing him right under the bus. Yeah. Well, I mean, he, he can't do it because he doesn't, Erno Tull doesn't have that support. No. And um, no, I mean, it, it's it, it's troubling because the People's Party is not going to win an election. 
Thank uh, goodness. But, no, but they, um, it's the Conservative Party and the the base. And I was, talk, I was on a panel the other day talking about uh, Quebec and secularism. And, and, and I said, you know, Trudeau is frightened of saying too much because he doesn't want to lose support in Quebec yep. for his party. And there are a lot of Quebecers support this. I said, but I know Tor won't say a word because, frankly, a lot of people in his base would like to see that replicated on a federal level. Yes. yes. That yes. scares the hell out of me. Yeah. And again, and again, will any of that personally affect me? No, it won't. But it frightens me because I have friends, I have family members, I have people across this nation that will be seriously harmed by that. And yeah. I don't want to live to see it. Well, it, and you know, it will affect you because it will, it plays into the hands. Look, what well, yes, you, you're correct. You're correct. Yes. But it was Islamophobic. I mean, they, they weren't targeting the, the Sikh Orthodox Jewish community. They, they, they couldn't get that. Yeah, there's mm -hmm. collateral damage yeah. here. It was Islamophobic and, and they know there were, there were votes to be gained there. And it plays into the hands of fanatics. Mm -hmm. If you read, it, it's, I mean, every, Northern Ireland was similar uh, after Bloody Sunday. You shoot uh, Roman Catholics simply protesting civil rights, you shoot them dead. Yeah. Next day, the IRA are, are turning people away. There are so many volunteers. Well, different, of course, but you, 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 you apply that. Uh, I mean, you, you play into the hands of those extremists who are a minority who say that we can never live in Western society because they will never tolerate Muslims. That's not true. Mm -hmm. The reaction to Islamophobia is enormous. We, we do reject it. But, um, no, it, the bill is appalling on so many levels. May, may I, I ask you on this, like... I keep on looking at this bill and yes, there are other people thrown in and yes, we say that, you know, we can include the Catholic symbols if they are ostentatious enough, you know, and, and all that kind of stuff. But it seems to me that this bill, while they're saying it's for secularism is actually uniting church and state again. Oh yeah. And well, it's one of the paradoxes of, of, of church and state separation. Look in England, the, the church of England is the established church, mm. but, as uh, Tony Blair's main advisor said, we don't do God. And, um, and Blair's a fairly religious man, but his chief advisor, we don't do God. Uh, it's just, it's not an issue um, in England, which has an established church. Whether you have official separation of church and state in the US, the, there's more influence of Christianity on American politics than the most countries in the world. I don't think an, open, an openly declared atheist could be president in the US. I, don't I think, think so if, if someone said, I do not believe in God, I'm sorry, I have respect for you, but I, I'm an atheist, I don't think they could be elected. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they, they could in the UK, I think they could in Canada too. Mm -hmm. But, um, and the, well, there's a whole notion of God bless America. Mm. It's not just saying, I, God, please help our country. It is, God has a special relationship with America. Yeah, and God doesn't have a special relationship with America. And in fact, I suspect God is very angry at some of the things that America does. Um, but that's what they're saying when they say that. And, you know, it, it's, and again, that's fairly new. I'm wearing the American flag on the lapel. These things didn't happen in the, there was always patriotism, mm -hmm. but it's turned into nationalism. It's something that's different dangerous. now. That is dangerous. Uh, yeah, it, it, it really is. And, and, um, the best of, of, of the United States, and there is much that is wonderful, but the best of the U.S. Uh, is being a little smothered, actually, by, by what is worst about it. And, and, um, and that does worry me in Canada. This is a great country, but 
and I, th- I think we're going to be okay, but there are elements coming through. Yeah. And we, we saw it in the UK with Brexit. I mean, I, you know, I'm a Brit. Mm. I spent the first 28 years of my life in Britain. That forms you. Yeah. And and Brexit was, was shocking. Yes. Uh, and I don't think, I mean, people regretted it later. Um, it was very badly, oh, I could go on for, for, bother you a little bit. I mean, <laughs> the way it was handled, uh, because there was much too much elitism. The idea that if you didn't agree with Europe, somehow you were a Neanderthal. And um, it's a big misreading of British society. Uh, a lot of visible minority British people voted Brexit. A lot of bra- black and brown mm-hmm. British people. I mean, not the majority, but a sizable minority. Right? Voted against their own best interests, right? Yeah, but they, they look, what they said was, we're working class people and we, our, there are jobs here taken by people from these countries in Europe why, why, the idea that because people are from a certain ethnic heritage, they should vote a certain way is, is deplorable. They it is. vote however they want to vote. And um, it was working people, it was older people, but also a lot of working class people who said, well, you don't, you don't know. You see, you, you, you don't quite get it. And, and they may have been wrong, but you know, various people from the European community working in the community, and they would conclude, why can't we have that job? And it was exploited by people. And... Uh, but I always remember when there, there was a, a letter signed by people like Benedict Cumberbatch and David Beckham and, you know, all the, you, you usually, you know, lovely people, but they signed a letter, you know, why we should stay in Europe. And I thought, oh, no, because these are people who have never turned right when they got on an aeroplane in 20, 30 years, you know. that they, Their life is so detached from that mm. of most people. And that is not what people want to hear. They don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear those who have so much telling them how to vote. Yeah, that just causes like a, a reflexive reaction to to fly in the face of that and do the opposite yeah. thing, right? Now, you guys, it's, uh, it was almost an hour. I don't want to take up too much of your time. No, we had um, we had one more question for you, and then we'd like to end with some uh, quick little uh Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the last, because uh, I'd, I'd like to come full circle and, and get back to your book. Um, uh, your path and your journey is interesting. And, you know, we see, we heard about like the loss and the costs and the penance and the forgiveness mm-hmm. and how you've changed as a result. And uh, if I may say, it seems that you are now a bit of the rebel reverend. <laughs> well, so, sir, what in writing the book uh, about you know Jesus being rebellious? Have, what have you learned about your own rebellion? Good one. Um, I take my inspiration, what well, I my inspiration from the Gospels, but there are some people in Christian history who are you know, Christian socialists and some pretty radical people who are who do inspire me, and. Um, I, I said, you know, the Anglican Church has some wonderful people in it with, with marvelous opinions, and I get a lot of support from some uh, of, of, of people in that church, and I have a wonderful bishop and so on. Um, you know, what, what I say I think is very much within the teachings of the church. Um, I hope I'm seen as a bit of a rebel. Uh, you know, I've only 
I don't know how many years I've got left. I was 63 in January. My parents were gone in their mid-70s. But let's say I've got a good 10 years to go, maybe longer. I'd like to use that time to try and to present a different Christianity to people and get them back into church. And I, um, you know, I, I, I'm very lucky. I do have this platform to, I was on CBC on the uh, Sunday magazine, lovely show. And I spoke about my book and it was a long interview, 20 odd minutes. And the audience is vast. It's like getting on for a million people. Mm-hmm. And um, I've reached a lot of people just not talking about me, but just talking about what Christianity really teaches. And that's what I want to do. So every time I write a column in the Star or the Globe or whatever, people write to me and say, is that really what Christianity says? Well, yeah, it does. So if that makes me a rebel, terrific. Uh, I think it just makes me a Christian. Hmm. Well, being a Christian, an actual one, is probably an act of rebellion. I think so. Especially especially in this day and age. I really think it is, honestly. Uh, And I think... uh, Jesus would be giving you the, the double thumbs up on that one. I do hope so. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Rapid fire questions. All righty. Nanaimo tarts or uh, Nanaimo, Nanaimo, tarts. <laughs> Nanaimo bars or butter tarts. <laughs> I got too excited. <laughs> oh, but, butter tarts. Okay. Oh, That's the first. You're the first. You're the first. Raisins or no raisins? Pardon me? Raisins or Raisins. Yes. My man. <laughs> um, uh, apple pie or mincemeat? Apple pie, but only of a certain kind. Like the apple pie my mum used to make, yeah. Ah, uh, what was special about it? I don't know. Just, I think my mum making it. <laughs> I get it's that. It's the love. The I number one. <laughs> uh, place in Canada you most like to go to to center yourself? Oh, well, it's really home. I mean, I, I like Niagara-on-the-Lake very much. Um, but here, here, with my family. Okay. A oh. uh, person outside your field that you most admire? Stephen Fry. Oh, oh. why? Okay. That's an interesting pick. Why? Well, he's a friend. Um, yeah. But when all this happened eight years ago, um, he was one of the people who rallied around me and he's one of the kindest, most loving people I've ever met. He's so busy. He is so high profile and I don't take advantage of that friendship. But if I, if I email him, I know within hours he will respond. Wow. And uh, when, when I was priested, he, he, and he's an atheist. When I was priested, he wrote me the most beautiful letter. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I love the man, but I admire him deeply. Hmm. Summer or winter? Oddly enough, winter. Ah, yes! <laughs> Why? Uh, I quite like the early dark. I know it's weird. And my favorite time of year, my favorite months of the year are November and December. I love them, always have. I mean, you know, end of January, I might not be agreeing with you, but uh, <laughs> I, I don't do, I used to do really well with the heat. As I've got older, not so much. Hmm. Okay. Uh, rugby or football? By football, do you mean soccer? Yes. Yes. Well, <laughs> I, mean, I, lo- I love both passionately. Um, 
I mean, soccer, because from the age of four or five, I was going to watch it. I mean, soccer is in the blood. I, I, can't, I can't get it out. But I love rugby and I love watching I mean, I do cheer for England. I, I love watching England play. And I played rugby a lot too. Um, but if I had to choose, I think it would be soccer. And, and, right. and your side, who's your favorite team? Oh, yes. oh I'm, I'm, I'm Tottenham born and bred. Oh, okay. All right. um, I, I went to White Hart Lane when I was four. And then I went every, I mean, I've been nothing else. I mean, my, my dad was from Tottenham. My, my uncle, his brother played for Tottenham Reserves. Uh, my, both of my sons deserted me, one for Man U, one for Liverpool. But, um, <laughs> See, here's the thing. I like both those teams. I like Man U and Liverpool. And everybody goes, that's like saying you like the Sens and the Leafs. I go, look, I didn't grow up with it. Yeah. <laughs> Let me give you some advice. Don't arrive in Manchester when you're Liverpool oh, good. No, 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 no. <laughs> certain parts of those towns. Um, but I mean, uh, culturally, because with football, it's a tribal thing. Culturally, even religiously, um, yeah, Tottenham's my team. And the last one is a two-parter. Your Christmas wish for the world and for yourself. Christmas wish for the world will be, uh, I think, uh, empathy. Mm-hmm. Because empathy leads to compassion and love and understanding. You know, just really try and understand what it will be like to be that other person. What it would really be like. Um, and for myself, um, oh, just to be, well, I'm a priest now. Um, to be a better priest. To keep improving as a priest. Um when I first celebrated the Eucharist, it was I almost wept actually. And someone said to me, every time you celebrate the mass, make it that it feels like your first time. And that was very good advice. Um, but to just be better, better at everything I do, better as a priest and, and, and to keep improving, I hope as a communicator of the Christian message. Hmm. Well, sir, um, Thank you very much for agreeing uh, to bring uh, the message of the rebel Christ and uh, to be able to talk to our listeners and uh, the readers of our blog about uh, your path. It's a very interesting one. And uh, um, anyway, I, I, I'm glad that we've been able to witness it from our end. And uh, well, it's a pleasure. You've, you've asked really wonderful questions and it's been, been a great deal of fun. Well, oh, thank you for your time. You. We, we really do appreciate it. And uh, when uh, when we post this, I'm going to send it to my folks right away because they've been reading you for 25 years. Oh, lovely, lovely. Well, wish them a Merry Christmas. And to you, have a wonderful and safe Christmas. And Thanks, and to you too. COVID-free, I hope. And uh, and keep in touch, please. Yes, and Merry Christmas to you and all of you. All right. God bless you guys. All right. Bye. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Hello, kids. It's Mr. Grizzly your friendly neighborhood grizzly bear who is asking you how much you like this program. And I'm asking you if, well, you like this show, you like what you hear, and we're happy to do this for you, if you'd be willing to, you know, throw us a couple of bucks as a tip. And the reason we do this, the reason we ask this question is because there are some production costs involved. We're happy to give this to you, but, you know, feel free to send us a couple of dollars over uh, coffee.com. And now the website is ko-fi.com backslash eager beaver. Dollar, two dollars, 50 cents, whatever, whatever you can spare. It helps us with our production costs. Mr. Beaver. That's right, Mr. Grizzly. Uh, If you go to our coffee page, 
the recommended donation is $3, but it can really be anything you want, um, less or more. If you happen to like this show, especially, um, we reinvest, uh, in the show, uh, as you can tell, uh, the sound quality has improved since, uh, episode one. And, uh, you know, we want to see where this show can go. Uh, hopefully we can maybe get some correspondence, uh, one day, um, maybe film it, uh, for YouTube. Uh, if, uh, you guys have any suggestions of what you'd like to see the show become, of course, those are always welcome, uh, because, you know, we do this for you. Um, so yeah, uh, Every little bit helps. And of course, if you can't afford anything and you just like the show, then please, you know, that's quite all right. Send us some comments. Let us know what you think of it. Uh, that means just as much to us, too. And don't forget the website, www.ko-fi.com backslash Eager Beaver. Thanks, eh? The True North Eager Beaver podcast is an Eager Beaver, Mr. Grizzly collaboration, research, story, and guest curation, and copy written by The Eager Beaver. Recording, production, editing, and additional research by Mr. Grizzly. Music courtesy of Ben Sound Royalty Free Music. Once again, thank you to our founding sponsors, The Peppermaster, The Miss V Mysteries from Corvid Mood Publishing, and CanadianTarot.com. Come on a journey like no other where you will discover many rogues that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey Into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at AveryRich.com.